Optimism Vaccine Podcast, episode 29. Uh, you may notice I'm not Steve Cuff. Uh, he brings a certain level of energy and professionalism to the proceedings. Uh, if you're expecting that, you're in for a, a rough night, because uh, I am not Steve Cuff. I'm, uh, I'm going to run things my way. It's going to be a little more perfunctory, uh, cantankerous, and altogether unpleasant. So strap in. Um I'm Adam Myros, by the way. I should probably introduce myself. And uh, joining me, we've got a, a pared-down crew this evening. Uh, we have, from uh, just a few miles from here, Sean Glennis joining us. Hi, guys. Uh, Sean. Yeah. What are you drinking? I'm drinking Bell's Double Cream Stout. Okay. It's a It's a... This used to be part of the podcast. We kind of abandoned it, but I'm bringing well, back I'm those old traditions. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing it back. Also, I, I'm a staunch traditionalist, Sean. What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, a tall glass of water with some mm. uh, Mio Akai Berry Storm. Uh, Is that water on draft? It's on. It's on tap. Nice. Only. Uh, also joining us from a few more miles. From here, uh, just a few, uh, all the way over in sunny California, uh, we have Jake Tropila. Hey, good evening, everybody. Jake, how about you? What are you drinking? I am drinking a glass of water. Yeah, uh, look at water you. unite. That's right. That's in your monastic lifestyle. Um, also, we should probably uh, um, apologize up front for the uh, perhaps depleted sound quality, but. I feel like um, all the best podcasts at some point have to apologize for bad sound quality episodes, so I kind of feel like we made it. This is our one, yeah. That's true. And it might not be that bad. We'll never know. We're just using a little different recording method, because not only does Steve bring energy and professionalism, he also brings a soundboard to record such things real, with. Some real inside baseball. So we are using uh, the, some of the old methods. If you went back and listened to the first few episodes of the Optimism Vaccine podcast, you would hear something akin to this. Uh, we prefer to call it rustic. Yeah, it's, it's got a certain charm. So what are we going to discuss today? I don't know, something about uh, Midnight Expresses and stuff. And uh, Mike Nichols, was it? Midnight Run. Jeff Nichols. Oh, Damn, I did all this wrong research. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry you watched Closer for nothing. <laughs> uh, I have, unfortunately, watched Closer. You guys don't like Closer? I like Closer. I was uh, just saying it's the wrong podcast for Closer. <laughs> I don't like Closer, no. No, it's uh, it's not great. Interesting. That's It's probably just, I don't know, too many women for me. <laughs> wow, all two of them. Jeff Nichols. Uh, no women around here. <laughs> uh, so who is Jeff Nichols? He's uh, he's kind of an indie darling, one of the great filmmakers of this generation, they say. Uh, and he's got a new movie coming out, Midnight Special. 
uh, which is why we've decided to dedicate a podcast to his work. Uh, whose idea was this? Um, probably a combination of like Sean and mine's. Oh, well, so we have you guys to thank. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. I have not had the opportunity to see Midnight Special. With the, we live here in Backwoods, Michigan. Uh, it doesn't arrive here just yet. I think somewhere in the next month here, but that's unfortunately. And there was no stolen copies either. They really let me down with a handy cam and theater copy here. So. <laughs> uh, well, Spiros, you wouldn't steal a purse, would you? Uh, you know, if it was like abandoned, would you steal a car though? I would. I would. It's if there were no repercussions, <laughs> I'd steal a car. It's just a fact. And uh, you know, there's no one who I'm stealing it physically from either. So if it was like a car, automatically like duplicated in front of you. Yeah, if there was just like a car on a lot that no one gave a shit about, yeah, I'd steal it. Um. Uh, anyway, we're we're meandering here. We've had this piracy conversation myriad times in the past on the air. Listeners are growing restless, so let's get into <laughs> the work of Jeff Nichols. Uh he started out with a little film called Shotgun Stories, which for many people was kind of the introduction to uh, Michael Shannon. Although I guess I had been introduced to him, unfortunately, through the work of. William Friedkin's bug. <laughs> but uh, shotgun stories. Uh, anyone want to jive into this one? It's a little just um, kind of a slice of backwoods Americana. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people also were probably introduced to Michael Shannon through Lex Luthor, right? Or who did he play? No, it wasn't Lex Luthor. It was no, he, um, he played General Zod. General Zod, yeah, in that bad movie. Um, but yeah, Shotgun Stories, this was something that, um, I had just heard about, like, through word of mouth, not through, like, the trades or anything like that, um, and I didn't know what to expect, but the DVD art was quite underwhelming, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, like you said, it's a nice slice of life, it's sort of like this rural, um, portrait of this like family tragic drama that um, it's basically like this family divided by this death of a uh, patriarch and um, it's uh, I guess you could say it deliberately paced um, it takes its time it's sort of just like it's a very observant rather than um, uh, propelled by any sort of plot device mm. I could buy that. It's a, it's kind of a strange movie. Uh, I, having just rewatched it today for uh, research purposes, it's I really like this. It might be my favorite of his films, but uh, it's it's just kind of difficult to capture the spirit of of a an area like this without, especially being his his home essentially. Uh, it's kind of replicating his his childhood stomping grounds there, but it's hard to do that without coming across this as kind of above it and, and just looking down on it patronizingly. Uh, and uh, beyond that, you're either going to skew that way or you're going to skew romanticism. And it's it certainly looks at it independent of both of those sort of jaded perspectives. It's if very naturalistic film. Uh, yeah, I think, I think those are good points. Like, it definitely feels lived in. Um... And, like, if you think about it, I guess, like, I don't know why this popped into my head, but, like, juxtapose it with, like, um, Nebraska, the Alexander Payne film. 
Like oh, that's yeah. one that's like sort of like through the eyes of like somebody visiting, and this is sort of the opposite. It's it's definitely through the eyes of like it. It feels like it feels natural, like you said, that that he would make this movie because it's it's sort of like what he's used to. But um, yeah, and on that same token, like it just things just like things are just like passing through the camera. It almost reminds me of like an Ozu film in that way. Like nothing feels rushed. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, the first half of the film is really, you wouldn't, you don't know what the plot's going to be. I mean, I guess there's hints towards a sort of Hatfields and McCoys type thing, but there's no real driving action. It's just the plot is just life occurring, and it's nice. It, it Actually, what popped into mind oddly, uh, for me, oddly enough, was Napoleon Dynamite <laughs> in like an antithesis sort of way because the it's almost kind of like a screwball kind of jovial day to day look at these at these kind of quirky guys and just like how he just he doesn't revere it but he doesn't mock it either it's just these are people who could live a few miles down the road from you and you know you get that same sense for me in Napoleon Dynamite where it was a guy who was making a, a film about his hometown and these quirky characters in small town America and it was just you know making fun of them and making it into some screwball nonsense yeah i think there's a there's a real lived in quality to the film that i admire and for also for a debut it's a very very auspicious work um, performances are excellent all around. Jeff Nichols has worked with Michael Shannon in all of his films, and he's incredible here. Uh, this was actually not my first introduction to um, either of them. I don't know where I first saw Shannon. It's probably Bug. But I actually saw Nichols' second film, Take Shelter, first, and then I saw Mud, but then I saw Shotgun Stories. And I think, overall, it's probably his finest effort yet, even though it's his first. I yeah. tend to agree. I have less problems with it. It's a very sparse film, but it, it just cuts right to the heart of what it wants to say. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I mean, you could look at almost well, especially Take Shelter and Shotgun Stories have a lot of similar sort of themes, and they deal a lot with they they, they kind of have that peck and paw toxic masculinity vibe going on. And this movie is definitely about that like uh, societal slash genetic compulsion to, you know, provide and protect from the male side of the family. And it's, uh, yeah. That's actually, that's like a, a running theme in all of his films is, uh, patriarchy with, um, especially with midnight special. It's, it's a sci-fi film, but it's more about what the lengths that a father will go to, to protect his son. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. I guess we want to run through his films in order. Uh, yeah, I figured we would. We got time here. We we decided to dedicate a full hour to the man. Uh, I I I um I guess the thing that um I I agree with you guys on those points. But what um sort of caught me off guard the most with watching shotgun shotgun stories and not knowing anything about or having any expectations um, was how like humanistic it was. Um, like it, it pits like one group of this family against the other, and uh, time-wise and like protagonist-wise, it clearly favors one side of the family, but it it doesn't favor them um, morally. Like, um, it very objectively uh, looks at both sides of of this family that's cut in half, and doesn't view the other side as like in any sort of way, um, overtly or. or implicitly as like 
doing the right thing. It's just like sort of this toxic situation and um, they sort of come to resolve it um, sort of together. Um, and there's also like an amateur-esque quality to it and some of those actors, especially the the, um, the guy on the opposite side of the family of Michael Shannon that um, comes and tries to like settle things early on. Um, I don't know his name, but uh, he's got his hair cut down half the... Half, half, he's got like a bowl cut that's like cut down the middle or something. Sure. Uh, but uh, he's a great actor, and that's that's sort of like another, um, I guess, uh, unique thing about Shotgun Stories is just that uh, because of these amateur actors, like it just fits in really well with not only the pace but the the landscape, and it's just it's just really quaint. It is kind of remarkable how good the acting is in this, considering there's virtually no name actors at all. <laughs> it's very unassuming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I would say you're you're right on, Sean. Because I mean, in all honesty, if you would say Michael Shannon basically becomes the patriarch over the course of the film, the rival clans patriarch, Cleman, uh, I believe his name is, is clearly the more level-headed and rational man, and he's he's basically the closest thing to a good man uh, through the majority of the film. Yeah, and yeah, so I, you know. They might be the protagonist, but it's definitely not a black and white issue. It's uh, a lot of a lot of nuance going. I didn't on. get anything about race in this one. Well, uh, that's because there were no black people. It's all white people. <laughs> not a lot of black people. Not a lot of women. Uh, that that might be a theme. That sums uh, up Jeff Nichols perfectly. <laughs> well, you know, write what you Back know. Back of the box said. quote. <laughs> Not a lot of black people, not a lot of women. You're going to love it. Also, what is intriguing is the the three leads, uh, Michael Shannon and his brothers, their names are, they don't really have names, they're just named son, boy, and kid. And I think in any other film that would kind of come off as ridiculous or silly, but it's, oddly enough, it works fine here. I, what are you guys' thoughts on that? that yeah, they that, don't, they're yeah. kind of just abandoned and they don't really have any names. Yeah, I guess it's a signifier that they're all the bastard sons of this uh, mm-hmm. passed away patriarch. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, I I hadn't noticed it really. I thought he had like a strange name, Michael Shannon's character. I was like, what, are, what is his name here? Like Cy or something. And yeah, I, so I pulled it up and I was like, well, that is a an interesting note. They they are not credited as anything other than son, boy, and kid. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I would say on on shotgun stories that really struck me is is I might have said it had sort of a Peck and Pie esque thing going on, but in Peck and Pie's hands, this would be like a miserable tragedy of a film, and people die here, but there's still like a hopeful resolution. Like the there's a positive note at the end. You feel as if there's forward momentum and people are growing. and being better than their fathers, and it's uh yeah kind of an up. Upward ending. I really enjoyed, for sure. I'm I'm glad you mentioned Peckinpah because I hadn't really like thought about um, his films in terms of uh, influence. Had you, Jake? No, as a Peckinpah's films as influencing Nichols. No, just like Nichols uh, in general in terms of like who he who is influenced by. I see. I was thinking watching these. I was thinking more of the early films of David Gordon Green, and th- this was kind of came out in the era where. Uh, Green started too. Yeah, yeah it's a producer. 
He did, and it, it has that feel on like films. I haven't seen George Washington, but that kind of strikes me as a similar vibe. And this is kind of like that time where um, Green started making those stoner comedies like uh, Pineapple Express and uh, Your Highness and all that. And so it's kind of like he's passing the, chor- the torch to Nichols hmm. to sort of carry on his, his legacy as, as these quieter dramas. I can't speak to that. I feel like I've never seen a David Gordon Green movie that I was supposed to see. I've only seen things I disliked and weren't very good, but that doesn't <laughs> say anything about him. It says a lot about me because I've just happened to have not seen most of his acclaimed early work. Yeah, I guess, I guess the only one that comes to mind, like I already said, is is Ozu, but um, that's more about, like I guess, form and less about landscape and also, like, Ozu films were not violent at all. Not that this is like violent, but obviously it has like a violent edge to it. Yeah, but all the violence is off screen entirely. Which is, yeah, definitely a turn away from the sort of Western hardened vibe that I was getting out of it at first. I'd say another movie that it really reminds me of is uh, Badlands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got a very meditative, Malick esque pace to it at times, but. Obviously, this movie doesn't have the budget to pull off that uh, photography, but, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's still got a sort of simple beauty to it. Yeah. Uh, so I think we've probably talked that one to death. Uh, so let's move on to the next one, which was four years later, he made a movie again with his buddy there, Michael Shannon, called Take Shelter. And this is... Uh, Really interesting film. I think it was my favorite uh, at the time when I first visited it, but I don't think it held up quite as well for me on rewatch. But be interested to hear some thoughts. Anyone want to give us a summary on this one? Yeah, I, I'll jump in. Take Shelter, uh, Michael Shannon's a, a construction worker. He's married to um, Jennifer Chastain, uh, the Zero Dark Thirty lady. Jessica, yeah. Jessica. Jessica. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Jessica, Jennifer, whatever. I like how you call her the Zero Dark Thirty lady instead of... Uh, um, what was she known for before that? Well, she was in the Malick movie. Oh, the Tree of Life lady, that's right. <laughs> yeah, Tree of Life, also Southern. And uh, they have a daughter who is deaf, and he is having these apocalyptic visions of the world ending through a violent storm, and so he goes out of his way to essentially uh, construct a shelter that he hopes will save them, but we, as we watch, we gather that these might just be delusions that he's suffering from because he is showing early signs that he's schizophrenic. And this was the first Nichols film that I saw, and I really liked it because it's marketed as like a, almost like a happening-esque Shyamalan movie, but (laughs) it is, it could not be anything but that. It's it's kind of almost like David Lynch in its visions of of you know misery, and and for for what we joke about him not having any well defined women roles in his films, I think uh, Chastain is really good here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we were talking about budget um, in regards to shotgun stories, and um, <clears throat> there is clearly an uptick in uh, budget here. Like I think. Um, um, like themes and uh, pace and uh, landscape and palette and all those things sort of remain, but uh, clearly there's like a professional cinematographer and Jessica Chastain is on board and um, another um, uh, character actor um, is like obviously like just just a 
much bigger production, and I'm sure, like, in terms of Hollywood, it was still, like, a tiny movie, but uh, it looks really pretty. Yeah, it does, and I love the, what I picked up, what I love more this time around than when I first saw it is uh, the score is so good. It's like, I can only describe it as, like, raindrops playing instruments. It's it's this very gentle melody. It is. Uh, It does have a really great cast for, again, not having a ton of budget. I mean, Jessica Chastain wasn't Jessica Chastain at the time. This was one of her big breakout roles. First time I ever noticed her. I mean, she's probably been in several things prior, but this was the first time she really stood out to me. Uh, Which, again, going back and watching it, I was like, why does she stand out to me? She doesn't do a ton in this movie. Uh, But, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it also has... She sort of, like, holds down the anchor of mental stability, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's not a poorly written role. It's just not a ton yeah, of meat. Yeah. Right, right. It's, uh, yeah, but they also have Shea Wiggum, who, from uh, Boardwalk Empire, is a ah, really good actor. Yeah. And also... Also has Michael Shannon in it. Yeah, it does. How about that? It yeah. all, who, who else was in it? Uh, Ray McKinnon uh, mm-hmm. from Deadwood and, yeah the creator of one of my favorite shows that I can't think of the name of off the top of my head. Uh, (laughs) Glowing review of your favorite show. Yeah, yeah, but he's a really great actor, too, and a really excellent writer. It's just got a lot of character in these small little roles. Uh, A lot of bad guys who he pulled in to really kind of enrich the cast beyond what he had to deal with in shotgun stories. Are you thinking of Rectify? Rectify, yeah, yeah. Ray McKinnon wrote and correct. Uh, he's basically done the whole series. Is that good? That's very good. Yeah, very good. Um, Take shelter, like. So I, I I hadn't seen it in a few years, but um, it feels like a short story to me, like in concept. Like it's very heavy on symbolism. Like not a whole lot happens, and how they relay, like, inner turmoil to the audience is very just, like, reminiscent to me, I guess, of just, like, uh, how short stories do that, just through, like, like a few small things and just um, a small world is built, right, so that it can be, like, more detailed. It's just, like, you know, him at work, him at home, him at, you know, the doctor's office. Yeah. It's, it's true. I kind of, like... Again, and I didn't mind the ending when I saw it, but it it didn't work very well for me this time around, I guess. Because it's just such an effective portrayal of, like, losing your mind. Like, it's just... (laughs) Yeah. A guy slipping in the madness. (laughs) I I think I... uh, Yeah, I had a hard time watching it again. Um, I, I admire it, like... I guess just like going through these three movies, I was reassessing how much I like him, uh, how much I like Jeff Nichols because I just like I loved Shotgun Stories when I first saw it, and then I I really liked Take Shelter, um, and we'll get to Mud, but um, I think I was just sort of like riding off the potential of Shotgun Stories, but I like Take Shelter, but I I think I admire it more than I like it actually. I think it's I think it's very strong, but I don't like watching it because. Well, I, I wouldn't, like, sit down and show it to somebody. It's such a penetrating and, like, unflinching, like, attempt to emulate this mental illness that is just the opposite of pleasant to watch. It's also, I, th- I think this is a big problem he has with his later three films, is that it's really long, too. Um, I think a, a mm-hmm. great 90-minute film lies in what is a two-hour film, and um, as his mud's even longer than this, and then I think uh, Midnight Special is almost just as long, but... 
um, Shotgun Stories works really efficiently on only 90 minutes, and there's, again, hardly any narrative to it. This, I feel, is like every, like he's ex- squeezing everything he can into it because he can. And the ending kind of robs it of that, the whole going mad, and he tries to have it both ways, which I think doesn't really work at all. No, yeah, it it really bothered me on this watch where it's it's like you look at it after you've seen the ending and you're like, wait, what was this movie about? Like, <laughs> what what is this? What what am I watching? Like Noah here? That's not what I tuned in for. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, yeah, but I I think well, Shannon is like obviously like perfect in this and in the perfect vehicle for like uh for Jeff Nichols's stories but he does that closed off emotional thing where like every once in a while he'll open up to other people in a way that still feels like stubborn um and then like there's this there's that banquet hall scene where, which is like might be like my favorite scene in like the Jeff Nichols catalog but um it's oh. just like allows um Michael Shannon to just sort of like show off without like chewing the scenery type thing, you know, because he's just like so good and such like a professional that like he does this blow up scene and it's just like, it's just pretty, it's pretty astounding to watch, but that's funny. You said that I was doing some research in all these films after I watched them. And in that scene, all the extras, they were paid to just come and sit at a table and eat a free meal. And they had no idea that there was going to be a fight or like that big speech. So their reactions were authentic. Oh, really interesting. And, yeah. yeah, and then that's like juxtaposed with like just these little moments where like that guy who goes on to to play the the father in Mud, like he's like in his driveway and like they have this talk, and then like Michael Shannon just like opens his arms up to him and like hugs him, but it's very reluctant. Um, but like just having that balance between these two things is really really great. Yeah, uh, yeah it's got a, a ton of it's, there's a ton to recommend here. It's just it gets so lost uh, mm-hmm. at some point, like it. Again, when it just taken as a whole, thematically it kind of falls apart. But the journey sure is fun, and there's a lot of high points, and it captures a certain dread and a certain mood that you, you don't see outside of some expertly crafted horror movies. Uh, and it's not even a horror movie, but it just kind of yeah. nails this bizarre tone. And it's just so interesting to me to look at this descent into madness. I feel like you don't see it effectively portrayed and I can see why because it's not fun it's not an enjoyable thing to watch or I can't imagine to craft uh, but it's eh, it becomes about something else about a prophet or some sort of religious experience and uh, it's just much less interesting to me <laughs> hmm. that's interesting you say that because religion um, is heavily featured in Midnight Special hmm. but, but we'll get there well, uh, do we have anything else that comes to mind here? I I might double back depending on time as kind of as a whole, but I would say uh, to double back on one thing. Now that I've come across what rectifies, by the way, Sean Ray McKinnon is the guy you're talking about from. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's another guy who's come to work with Nichols regularly. But uh, Jake rectify is very much in the same vein as Jeff Nichols sort of thing. It's very sort of rural huh. Southern Gothic, so and very slow paced, just slice of life stuff. So if you're into him, yeah, you want that show. Yeah, it's, That's it's interesting. Good. I'll check it out. I've heard you mention it before. I just have hadn't had no time to see it. Sure. Yeah. Um, sounded like someone else had something to throw on the pile here. 
Well, I mean, I guess like just because it feels like maybe we might be we brushing with broad strokes, but like um, there's a lot, like you said, to recommend, and a lot of those like just seeing the weight of uh, what it means to be a father and a mother um, and, like, sort of what that does to people in this movie, I, I think that's that's probably more the touching stuff there. Sure. It, it is. And, uh, yeah, that's sort of, again, it's a similar to what he did in the shotgun stories with with sort of a, the burden of masculinity and the, that, patriarchal role, but it's it's handled well both times. It can be a tired subject, and it right. can be a blunt subject that has zero nuance, but he he manages to do it without it seeming kind of gross, which it can. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, I think we should probably move on to uh, his most acclaimed and well-known film, uh, Mud, which is part of the Meconissance. It actually came a scant year after Take Shelter. So uh, I saw this one in the art theater in Seattle uh, before I knew much of anything about it, and uh, I had no strong reaction to it whatsoever. I didn't, I, and I did not go back and revisit it for this too, just because I knew what it was, and it wasn't going to elicit uh, some thesis from me on the uh, note sheet. So it's a coming-of-age story, and it's a good one. Anyone uh, have anything more? What we got a summary on this one here? Yeah, I uh, when I first saw this, I loved this movie very much. It was one of my favorite films from the year. What Mud is about two young boys. Uh, I forgot the lead kid's name, but he's got his friend named Neckbone, and they like to explore the wilds of their little town. And they come across a boat in a tree, which is currently um, the residence of an escaped outlaw played by Matthew McConaughey. His name is Mud. And he works out a deal with them to trade, uh, to help get the boat out of the tree, and they bring him supplies and form this very unusual bond, which is kind of endearing. And there's these uh, gangsters who come into town that want to capture Mud, and he's wanted by the law. And the main kid is also dealing with the separation of his parents. But it reminds me a lot of Stand By Me in two boys going out in the wild and discovering something that is above and beyond them. And I still really enjoyed it this time around. But what do you think? Uh, what do you think, Sean? Um, I, I guess I'll play the uh, the the other reaction. Um, if, Myros, you didn't have a strong reaction and Jake, you really liked it, I was severely disappointed. I saw this in the theater and, um, like I said, like I just knew that Jeff Nichols had so much potential and I really liked a certain trajectory that he was following and I felt like this subverted that um, in a way that was very disappointing to me. Um, yeah, it's, so, yeah, it's about this kid, Ellis, and it's a Bildungsroman and he, I appreciate, like, this stuff about him, like, finding out the complexity and confusion of of love, um, but that become like, that's the most in, interesting aspect to me, but that seems, like, very peripheral. Um, and I guess what really, like, the, the pace is still a bit deliberate, um, which, I guess, like we said, is a constant of Nichols's work, but um, it just was so unfulfilling. It felt like, instead of, like, take shelter, slow development, which illustrated, like, that loneliness and 
confounding feeling of mental illness, Mud feels slowly steered toward the next plot point. Um, and all this stuff that happens in the first half of the movie, I was just sort of like, I hope this isn't like setting up for like what it would in any other movie. And and I feel like that the second half of the film just makes good on every unfortunate promise in that the first half. And um, it's just like I said, it's very plot device driven. It just which was the antithesis of shock and stories. Um, and also just like, it just seems a bit more polished in a way that, that like, I, I mean, I don't have anything against like the aesthetic, but just like polished in like every single way, whether it's like sound design and, and dialogue and acting and just having like Matthew McConaughey. It's just, it just turned me off completely. It was just sort of like this really finely tuned package that I don't want out of a Jeff Nichols movie. Yeah, that I guess that's my main takeaway is that nothing about it outside of the setting. It, I mean, the setting and the world are very Jeff Nichols, but nothing about the rest of the film feels to me like his vision. Besides and, Michael Shannon's character. Well, who is a non-entity, really. Right. Hardly in it, yeah. yeah. It's just like if I saw the film, I would not be able to tell you who the director is, and that's not the case of this previous two films. It was, yeah, it does evoke Stand By Me and, and films like that, and that's just not that's not aimed at me. That's not I'm not the target audience for Stand By Me, unfortunately. Jake, Jake why, did, why? What uh, do you like so much about it? I don't know. I I think first of all, I think all the the performances in all his films are consistently great, and more so here. And I think the way that to move on from telling these stories about adults to going from the perspective of children works very well. And it's not it's never like unbelievable um, that you're you totally believe that you're watching these two kids and their just their reactions and how they accept everything is. It just seems so plausible and believable, and I think McConaughey is—he's incredibly charming in the role, but not overtly so. And it—it kind of has this this like kind of fantasy element to it that I also really like. That's never completely expounded upon, but there's just—I don't know—a hint of hint of mystery that I really like, and it's it's so sweet and charming. And I I think you guys are just being cynics, is all. Uh, I, I'll throw that at Sean. I'm not. I don't dislike the film at all. Yeah. I, I was totally pleased walking out of the theater. It was just, again, I I wasn't expecting anything because I don't even know that I really paid attention to who the director was. I was just going out to the indie theater to catch a couple of films. I think it is more of a. It's better as a standalone film than if we're examining it as the works of uh, Jeff Nichols. So are you are you saying instead of Stand by Me, it should be called Standalone? No, that's already a movie by Gaspar Noe. Yeah, Gaspar Noe. Again, we're back to Gaspar Noe. <laughs> where's Jack, where's Jack to talk about? <laughs> I have unfortunately seen I Stand Alone. I I don't remember anything about it, but I'm sure if I did, I would be disgusted. I just remember it's a guy walking around narrating for an hour, and then all of a sudden the screen says, you have 30 seconds to leave the theater, and then he does something horrible. Yeah, there's something truly awful in the third act of that film. Yeah. I don't remember what it is, but it is awful. Anyway, yeah. uh, but, but basically I think Nichols is really good at world building, and like even Shotgun Stories just is, exists in its own little world, and he knows his subjects well, 
and I think he, on a grander scale, Mudd is terrific in that sense. Um, that being said, I don't like when Nichols um, becomes an action director because mm-hmm. the, the shootout at the end of Mud st- bothered me the first time I saw it, and it still bothers me when I rewatched it because I don't, I don't, a, I don't think it's well choreographed, and I don't, b, I also don't think that would was the satisfying route to take for this movie because it was doing everything it could to avoid that sense of conflict. That's and, and, I, uh, I, yeah. I also don't, I don't, I don't like when it, uh, it shifts to offer the perspective of the bad guys, like, like halfway through. Um, oh yeah, where they like meet up in the hotel room before yeah, yeah. posse, it's, and it's been the perspective of Ellis like this whole time, and it's his story, obviously, like like we said, and then all of a sudden it swi- sh- switches to these bad guys, which like remind me of like these like Cronenbergian like weird like like uh, a history of violence type bad guys, which like in that movie are like perfectly generic, but in this movie just I don't know it it didn't. Didn't sit right right with me, and I just like question why we were offered this perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's things about it, like uh, the love story aspect didn't work nearly as well as the coming of age aspect for me. I gotta say. Yeah. What what the with Reese Witherspoon or the yeah, girl uh, Reese Witherspoon? I wasn't really rooting for those crazy kids to no. overcome all their obstacles. And I, I would work. say. I was, it's interesting how different each of his films seem in a genre, like in a different genre, although connected in other ways, like setting and, and sometimes pace, like from the family tragic drama of Shotgun Stories that's very simple, it, it, like that leads into like the domestic drama in a much different way. Um, that is Take Shelter that has that doesn't have that violent edge, and then we have Mud, which uh, you know like we said, is this coming-of-age tale with this, like, mythic figure at the center. They're just very distinct, um, but they all occupy the same, like, rural space, which is, it's nice that, well, first of all, it's nice that somebody in Hollywood is able to, like, fill that niche of rural art, but um, I don't know. It seems like Midnight Special probably also continues that trend, Jake. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I guess that's our segue into Midnight Special, unless you had anything to say otherwise. I don't, I don't know. know. Like, I, I guess I just mean that as like an observation. I, I don't like. I think that's probably a skill of his that he's able. Like, not all of these films. Like a lot of times when you see somebody who like mm-hmm. makes films about where he's from or mm-hmm. she, and then like, it seems like you know every movie is sort of like a page out of the same book. But this his films don't seem that way. Yeah, if that's shooting from like where he's from and with that sense of. Um, world building midnight special is then completely different than anything else that he's done because it's not isolated in a small town it actually the action takes carries over several states and it's a much i i think he's aiming for a grander picture but it never quite works entirely we will be uh talking about that shortly i'd say that one thing i i had a friend who went to a screening of midnight special again in seattle uh my old Habitat, but uh, they said that he was in attendance there and cited one of the main influences for his work as, uh, and especially Midnight Special as Close Encounters, uh, Spielberg, um, which I can see. Uh, again, he definitely has like a more rural bent, but one of the things that people praise like 80s Spielberg for is is kind of that sort of way he can capture a certain segment of the time and the home life in, like, 
suburban America in the 80s. It, he, and Nichols kind of does something similar to that with a more rural bent, uh, which is kind of a rare skill. You see a lot of people try to replicate that and yeah. fail miserably. So. Yeah, I think, uh, which also, like, you know, comes back to M. Night Shyamalan type stuff. But, um, yeah, I think every single review I've read of Midnight Special mentioned Spielberg. Yeah, and Close Encounters is interesting for me to look uh, with that armed with that knowledge. Looking at Take Shelter, you can kind of see a lot of parallels there too. I mean, Close Encounters is kind of a similar sort of bait and switch type thing, where you know, I guess it it shows you too much to wonder if, if Dreyfus is totally out of his gourd. But it's oh spoilers! Still... <laughs> I've never seen it actually, though. Well, it's uh, I hadn't seen it until recently either. I actually no. was motivated to last year by another podcast, but uh, I was very pleased when I got around to it because it, it does something similar. It's basically half the movie is just Richard Dreyfuss kind of losing his mind and abandoning his familial responsibilities and just kind of going berserk. So it, it does have a lot of parallels with, with Take Shelter, and you can, you can definitely see the influence there. So that was interesting to look at going back and maybe intrigued to see where he's going with uh, this march into sci-fi with the night special, uh, which also, Jake did see. Right? Yeah. They also share uh, the the fact that uh, they don't like casting women in their movies. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, midnight special. Anyone? Um, midnight special is the most disappointing Jeff Nichols film yet. What it's about is uh, Michael Shannon is a man who he's hired his best friend to kind of be his security guard, and he's kidnapped his son, his birth son, from this... uh, It's never explicitly stated, but they're kind of like a fundamentalist Latter-day Saints church group um, who've taken him, and he, he has these powers, these supernatural powers that nobody knows where it's from, which causes blue light to emit from his eyes and he shares visions and and people see things when they stare into him and so michael shan's a fugitive on the run with his son trying to keep him safe and there's law enforcement after him it's kind of like a chase movie almost and um yeah i don't know it just a, a lot of it's good for the first two thirds and then once there's revelations about what the sun is and where he comes from and where he needs to go, then it all just kind of sputters out of control and drags itself to a close. And I had a lot of high hopes going into it because I had liked Jeff Nichols before. I liked all of his films before seeing this, and I think he's just kind of... His his reach extends... or his, What's the expression? His reach extends his grasp or his... Uh, anyways, he doesn't quite um, hit all the goals that he's trying to accomplish in this film. And I think uh, a lot of... Again, he goes into a lot of action. Like, the last third of the film is also just a pure action film, which is, again, not good when you're Jeff Nichols. But I don't know what... What? What you're saying is his eyes were bigger than his mouth. Exactly. His eyes oh, are yes. bigger than his mouth. His reach exceeds his grasp is what I was trying to say. Um, sorry, I'm tired. And <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I just kind of walked away disappointed. And it, and it tries to have an ending similar to the others where there's a sense of, um, like it's sort of a positive, happy ending. It tries to throw that in, but it, it, it completely does not work with this sort of film. 
And uh, I, I just think everyone is... Uh, the performances are generally good, but everything is just kind of very... It plays off very deliberate, and it's very grim. And I, I don't think... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wish, kind of wish it was out so you guys would have... So we can discuss so it. doesn't exactly like play a hit to his strengths very well. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know what he was... I just don't know what he's trying to accomplish here. Obvi- obviously, it's about a father trying to keep his son safe and the great lengths that he do is, will do to the, you know do that. But And Michael Shannon is very good in that regard. But it just all comes off as just sor- sort of undercooked. And it's a lot of it's left very vague and there's no explanations really. And it's not really satisfying either for a Jeff Nichols film. Well, this makes me think of the way you describe it. Makes me think of uh, the J.J. Abrams thud uh, Super Eight. <laughs> That's what it kind of sounds like to me, like a PG thirteen sci fi chase movie. That's an homage to Spielberg and not very good. Yeah, Super Eight. That yeah, that is fairly accurate, especially in Super Eight when there's more of an alien revealed and he's building a spaceship to go back home. Um, not that that's necessarily a spoiler for Midnight Special, but yeah, it, it, it's a lot like Super 8 in that regard. I actually like the first 20 minutes of Super 8 until they find those stupid building blocks. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I couldn't, who, who could remember? I saw it in the theater. It's long gone from my mind at this point. It did not warrant a uh, storage space in my brain. Uh, yeah, I'd say if you keep your expectations in check... Um, go see Midnight Special because there is some things to admire about it, but I don't know. The sci-fi element is a little wonky. Okay, yeah, so, uh, so that is that is about covering that. But what I wanted to bring up, and since we're on the sci-fi subject, this kind of fits right in, is to me, uh, especially if we look at Take Shelter, and I'm asking you guys a loaded question here. Why why should we give a shit about it? like what separates Jeff Nichols? What makes him one of the filmmakers of his generation rather than just another young guy whose films don't pass the Bechdel test and <laughs> he's just he's writing about patriarchy and masculinity and it, it's like, why why isn't this guy just bullshit? What, wh- I why guess... should I believe in this guy? Like to me if I look at Take Shelter what it what it kind of resembles, and it's not nearly the mess. It's it's a really good film, but it kind of resembles Interstellar. <laughs> um, I guess that was th- this is a question that I was asking myself as I was going through, like uh, you know, like I said, like reassessing his work and wondering how much I I should care about him or how much uh, stock I should put into like whatever's coming out from him in the future. But um, I guess I would only really feel safe like saying that Shotgun Stories is a is a really good m- modern independent movie that you just you don't see the likes of very much or very often um it's just like has a has a character to it that um like I said it's just very unassuming um and humanistic and those are two qualities that you don't really find done very well yeah i think he's he's always he he's probably always uh if he only has a good film, he's still only a few steps away from a great film. And I think he's pr- uncommonly smart compared to a lot of other directors who are working today. And I, I don't know, I think his sense of world building and and knowing his subjects well really 
adds a lot to his films and there's yeah. something just authentic about it which is all very nice to watch rather than just a director working from a script in a location with actors he always gets great performances out of everyone involved so uh, yeah you know who else is smarter than a lot of other directors Christopher Nolan <laughs> I think Jeff Nichols probably has like a dead wives club too <laughs> yeah but Jeff Nichols is he's more he's a lot he's more earnest than um, Nolan ever is. There's some Nolan has contempt for his audience. He so thinks he's intelligent. Saying, what you're saying is you would not describe Christopher Nolan's films as attaining a certain authenticity and uh, a loving aspect of setting and place. Uh, no, 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 probably not. Authenticity? No, definitely not. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It. I don't know why, but take shelter. Maybe it's just Chastain and cornfields and whatnot, but it, it brought Interstellar directly to mind. I felt like that was kind of Hollywood's attempt to make a Jeff Nichols movie, and uh, man, is it miserable. Yeah, also McConaughey's in Mud, so there's that. Is this like, uh, I feel like this is our sponsor, like um, Interstellar being bad. We have to hit that sponsor each time. Yeah, well, unfortunately I wasn't on the Interstellar episode because I had some sort of technical gaffe or something. Well, this podcast is brought to you by How Awful Interstellar Is. Interstellar, keep not seeing it, please. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, don't ever. Uh, okay, uh, I think we have covered all we have to do. Sean, how are we looking on time here? I don't have a clock on Pretty me. Pretty good. I, I think we are ready for putovers. We're there. We've we've managed to kick and scream and drag our way to near the 60-minute mark uh, with very little dead air. Uh, good work, boys. Uh, how about we get to a little segment we call Putovers? And, uh, well, what have you been watching this week or listening to, Sean? Can I do reading? Uh, well, you know, this is an audio medium. We don't tend to like to read, but uh, we'll allow it just this once. Um. Yeah, I've I've been reading something that uh, I guess isn't exactly like typical for my wheelhouse, and that is Michael Pollan's The Botany of Desire. Um, I started watching his show Cooked on Netflix, which is all right. It's uh it's solid, got some good stuff and some not so good stuff. But um, so I started reading this book of his um because I heard it was sort of his least pedantic, and uh, it's it's quite nice so far. He goes through um a few different um pieces of plant life at a time, uh, very specific, and the first, I've been reading about the apple, and it's just this really nice history of the apple that's not boring, um, and it's socially interesting, and just mythologically interesting, and uh, yeah, it's just been something that's sort of refreshing to read. So this is about like pheromones or some such nonsense? <laughs> um, no, not exactly, not not yet, but he, he just like extrapolates on a lot of things like uh, sort of the root of like sweetness and, and like what role like hard cider played in society, but he also, like, does this whole uh, sort of um, biography of John Chapman or Johnny Appleseed, um, and how, and it's sort of like revisit, or sort of like learning what he really was and what he really meant to American history, um, uh, as opposed to what we sort of know through lore and through um, learning in the public school system. Uh, well, that sounds uh, like something. Maybe you could get me to read. Uh, probably not. But 
Also, uh, okay, uh, Jake, do you have something I could just avoid reading entirely and, you know, maybe just absorb passively? Uh, yeah, you know, if you're into films like I am, I would recommend Cresha, which is, in, it's going to sound cliche, it's, oh, it's this new independent film shot for like a quarter of a million dollars in one house for nine days. But it's actually uh, really damn impressive. It's about this woman coming home for Thanksgiving and she's had been dealing with alcoholism, but now she's sober. And it's kind of like take shelter in the sense that you're watching this character slowly lose their mind and how that is going to just ruin this family gathering. And it's it has one of the better it's one of the better films I've seen that's been released this year. I don't think it's out everywhere yet, but I Acrecia, uh, give it a give check it out. It's 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 just incredible incredible work all around, and. Uh, I, Sorry, I keep getting messages from the Facebook chat. Um, yeah, that's inside baseball, man. Yeah. There is no Facebook. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, Chris, so Chris is a very it's a very depressing, um, very powerful piece of work. Is this a first time director or someone we might be? It, no, it's with? a completely first time director, and he also has a role in the film. Um, but yeah, check out Chris. Spell this for me. I have no oh, idea what this means. It's a K-R-I-S-H-A. Is the S a dollar sign? No. <laughs> no. It's not Keisha. That's unfortunate. I, yeah, I've just lost interest. I'm interested. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm I'm going to earmark this one. That, that sounds like a winner. Uh, me? Yeah. I'm, I'm not... I don't know. I didn't watch anything good this week. I'm just putting over... The fact that the good Lord has risen from his grave this day. Uh, you know, he's here to save us all from sin. Are you uh, putting over Weekend at Bernie's? Uh, well, yeah, that is a classic. Uh, I've never seen it. That's a shame. Actually, I don't think I have either. I think I've only seen Weekend at Bernie's 2. Oh, boy. That was, that was the one more heavily in the Comedy Central rotation. Anyhow, yes. I remember that one too, where they played music to make yeah, his corpse walk. It's so bizarre. Well, I heard that Batman v Superman's worth your time. Maybe go see that. <laughs> I didn't hear that really, but it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds like a uh, yeah, so, endorsement. You know, there's there's Jesus and there's Batman. So those are your two putovers from me. Uh, that will about do us uh, on this edition of the OpFact Cast. Uh, thank you, Jake, and thank you. thank you, Sean. Unfortunately, Steve Coleman is not here to give us the last word. So until next time, uh, sign out.